Hi and welcome to the HSJ Health Check podcast. I'm your host Annabelle Collins. This week I'm joined by James Nolman and Dave West and we'll be covering the government's decision to scrap any target reforms after years of deliberation and lobbying from NHS England and we'll be talking about what this means for trusts over the next few years. We'll also give you a quick update on NHS elective recovery following a warning from Amanda Pritchard last week that targets may, may need to be reprofiled. And finally, we'll dig more into a piece published by Dave earlier this week that revealed NHS England has delayed the transfer of a multi-billion pound fund to integrated care systems until 2024. But first, let's start with A&E targets. And James, this was your, your scoop last week, and it's super interesting. We've, we've talked about this a lot of times on the podcast. We have. The target review that's been going on for a while. Um, perhaps. Yeah, let's let's start with what 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 did you find out last week? Yeah, so last week um, we 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 found out the ministers have, have finally killed off uh, the latest attempt to get rid of the four-hour target. Um, and in my column, I liken the four-hour target to an old battle-hardened heavyweight boxing champion in its twilight years, uh, which just doesn't know when he's beat because there's been several attempts to get rid of the target but um, it's been around since 2004, and uh, it's certainly going to be around for the rest of the parliament. So I think the key to understanding why NHS England failed in, in, in this latest attempt to ditch the target, and they wanted to replace it with a new basket of a dozen or so metrics, is understanding a little bit of the history of the four-hour target. So this this most recent, uh, targets review was actually announced by Theresa May in June 2018, which now feels a very, very, very long time ago. And um, uh, NHS England seized on the opportunity uh, to get rid of the four hour target. This is a target that the NHS has been failing to hit since July 2015. And many in the NHS England hierarchy, uh, including uh, then uh, Chief Executive Sir Simon Stevens, now Lord Stevens, uh, are really pushing for it to be ditched. So much so that when the clinical review of standards was set up, um, it felt like, as one senior NHS uh, figure put it to me at the time, a process following a decision. It felt like a bit of a stitch up. Uh, it felt like the decision had already been made and they just wanted to do these trials to prove, uh, yeah, that this decision that they'd already made was legit um, and <laughs> it hasn't quite worked out that way so yeah the four-hour target was brought in in 2004 and it was sort of widely viewed as playing a key role in recovering performance uh, during the noughties and, and during that period you know you've got to remember back in the 90s John Major brought in a target uh, that uh, people shouldn't wait two years for elective care. So so things have gone very, very, very badly wrong in the 90s. Ironically and tragically, we are back there again. And then in the noughties, you know, everything improved, admittedly, with uh, considerable uh, amounts of funding put into the system, but everything improved a lot. And one of the uh, sort of um, drivers of that improvement certainly was the four-hour target. So trying to scrap this target was controversial. 
Uh, and a lot of the for the, the kind of supporters of the target, they said this with good reason, said, well, the main reason NHS England leadership want to junk this target is because the system's failing to hit it and it's never going to get back to hitting it unless there is a fundamental increase in capacity, both in staffing and beds. And they kind of argued that the problem was not the target, but the NHS's inadequate resources. Critics, however, would say that the NHS, uh, the four-hour target is is too blunt a measure. It's too vulnerable to being gained, and these arguments again, uh, they, they they are not without um, good reason. Uh, and indeed, I'm a, I'm an enthusiastic student of this policy area, as you might have noticed. And I, I can tell you that even Tony Blair, back in 2005, conceded that the target might be too rigid. So it's 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 always had its pros and cons, like like any target. So after a very kind of impressive lobbying effort by NHS England, they managed to march everyone up to the top of the hill. They got NHS providers on board, NHS Comfed, crucially, the Royal College of Emergency Medicine, uh, got everyone on board to say, yeah, this is a good idea. And um, yeah, Healthwatch England um, and the, 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 the kind of patient groups. So everyone's saying, yes, it's it's time to change the target. And they were going through this process and they, they set up, there were 14 trusts trialing all these new metrics and they're very worthy exercise. Um, but one huge question always remained unanswered throughout. And I asked this question over and over and again, I never really got any answers to it. And the question was simply this, like, how do you use this basket of metrics? How can patients use it as a way of going, OK, so this is how the NHS is performing and this is what my expectation should be, how long I should wait. Also, how can ministers use it to ask the same questions, but to hold the NHS to account? Yeah, you know, the government gives the NHS a lot of money. Uh, it should have a, a measure on which it can hold it to account. And these things, you know, I'd kind of ask NHS England people or NHS providers or Royal College of Emergency Medicine, they'd all be like, yeah, we haven't kind of quite worked out that bit yet. But, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll get to it. We'll get to it. And then, you know, the Department of Health and Social Care was coming around when uh, Matt Hancock was health secretary. He was, you know, pro-reform. Sajid Javid came in. He was pro-reform. But... NHS England never managed to kind of convince number 10. Uh, and a lot of it was because they, they, they couldn't answer those fundamental questions that I was asking for several years. Um, and then I'm also reliably informed that, first of all, it was um, the uh, advisors at number 10 who played a pretty key role in killing it off. Uh, and another really kind of central uh, driver in this decision was publication of a, a landmark study in the BMJ's Emergency Medicine Journal, which came out in early to um, er, early this year, early 2022. And this study has uh, a real kind of the authors are all heavyweights in the field. It's got a very illustrious team sheet, um, including uh, it was a long running study. Um, NHS England's former and incredibly well regarded A&E clinical lead, the late uh, Cliff Mann, who tragically passed away in February uh, 2021. So, so, so it had this this list of authors. Uh, and basically the, the kind of uh, finding was that it kind of comprehensively demonstrated that long waits in A&E are associated with higher patient mortality, unsurprisingly, specifically waits for admissions over five hours. Uh, and this 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 paper kind of sent shockwaves through 
Whitehall really. They were like, right, well, why are we getting rid of this 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 target when we know that um, if long weights get out of control, mortality is going to get even worse than it already has done. Um, and yeah, so here we are. And then coming into that as well, uh, Barclay kind of coming in and saying, oh, there's too many targets in the NHS in general. So this idea of like bringing in a basket of measures at a time when, um, yeah, uh, the, the health secretary saying, um, Let's have less targets. Yeah, Dave. Do you think, James, that because you know you referring back to the two thousands and when these tar the target was introduced and the um, uh, I suppose by under the auspices of Simon Stevens and the elective you know targets, all the sort of totemic targets introduced around that time, along with a kind of plan to meet them by more money, more staff, targets, enforcement, management, a range of sort of you know levers and stuff. So do you think there's any uh, sort of semblance or uh, you know, are they going to put together a plan to try and improve performance against the target? Yeah, that is a very good question, which I don't know the answer to at the moment. Um, what we do know is that for the rest of the parliament, um, we are going to see the system held to account against a four hour target, but more immediately the 12 hour target. Now, the 12-hour target is another massive kettle of fish. Very briefly, at the moment, it is measured from uh, a decision to admit, not from when the patient arrives at E&E. So the 4-hour the target clock and the 12-hour target clock start at different points. Now, one of uh, the Royal College of Emergency Medicine's key um, asks of, um, you know, part of the deal was the, that that clock would actually start when the four hour clock starts because uh, they've said for a long time the current measure masks long waits. They're actually far worse than the 12 hour figure suggests. Now, um, the trusts supply that data to NHS England, NHS data, NHS England has all that data, but they are still refusing to publish it which is absolutely absurd. And the only reason really can be that it's going to look really bad. That is the only only reason at this point. There's, there's, there's nothing logistical stopping them from publishing that data, apart from the fact it's going to be politically damaging in the short term. However, you know, all the data is so bad at the moment, I, I don't think people are going to notice that much. There'll be a few months mm -hmm. when people go, oh, look, it's so much worse than it was initially thought it was. And then we'll just go back to waiting times in any are terrible. 12 hour waits are terrible. Uh, elective waits are terrible. And it will all be lost in that kind of mush of, of, um, of bad news. Main context of, yeah, the main context was sort of saving the target or abolishing a, a, the, uh, the the idea of coming up with better better measures. Seems to me to be that it's just an acceptance of just in constant firefighting, um, mm. mostly managing against you know what are like really really sort of safety critical total disaster things like twelve hour waits and and ambulance handovers. You know they're like just trying to firefight those things and discharge over over winter and probably pretty much the whole year, aren't they? So. I can't see them actually going to any real intention to obviously not meet the four hour target. And so far, there's no, no real plan to even. Oh, God, no, 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 no. I mean, stop deterioration. But it, but they do. They've got two years to an election, haven't they? And it's like kind of fits with this sort of um, 
Steve Barclay and others idea of kind of it reminds me of the Linton Crosby um, political saying like get the scrape the barnacles off the boat like let's just forget about clinical standards reviews forget about as many things as we can forget about and try and focus on the things that um, that um, may be more at forefront in voters minds and are also like really safety safety critical like the 12-hour waits and the, um, the ambulance handovers leading to very very long ambulance response times which are like a really really uh, prominent political priority on the people waiting um, you know getting on for days for ambulances um, for a day for an ambulance um, which are like ambulances to fit with that but it you know, just from, it's interesting that thing about well, they can't pick an alternative measure, but it's sort of like a political failure or failure of, I don't know, but principally, I think, politics. You know, number 10 said, so, well, yeah, you don't like these seven measures. So you are the prime office of the prime minister. Are you, why don't you step forward and say how we should measure the, the, the performance of the NHS? And then, whereas in the 2000s, there was obviously the luxury of more money as well, but there was a, a vision there of all well, this is what the NHS and health and care system is going to give you. Um, whereas now there's not there's not been that because the, the idea of getting rid of it, although, you know, as you say, there was kind of reasons around um, reasons like it can be gained and all that sort of thing as well. And maybe there's more clinically valid ways of measuring stuff. But it was also like trying to shift the focus of the health service to um, to a more integrated system that might you know look after people in their own uh, home and community and prevent them needing to go to A&E in, in the first place and all that. And, and I mean, that whole vision has just been sort of defeated and given up in a abandoned in a heap, hasn't it, really, in favour of uh, firefighting, which is, is a shame. But um, but yeah, you, do, you I, do need some vision and resources to to to, to do it. I I largely agree with that assessment. Aside from the fact that I would say that NHS England was given time to carry out this uh, review. They were they 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 were given a lot of air cover by ministers to come up with something viable. And I just don't think that the clinical review of standards has done that. There's some really good stuff in there. There is no doubting that a lot of the measures are clinically very relevant and this idea of trying to have um, a basket of metrics which uh, took into account before hospital, in the A&E, in hospital, flow out social care, great. But they never nailed those those kind of key, um, uh, those those key fundamental questions. How how will the public, how, how will this filter through to the public? who are, in the end of the day, the most important people in the debate, and how can ministers use this to hold the system to account? And if you lose those two fundamentals, then you've lost the argument. So I think, yeah, I, I just think the the review totally didn't, just, just failed in, in quite a fundamental way. Uh, do you have an idea, James, of, of how much it will cost to, to do this big piece of work and kind of piloting? Is there a sense that it not only failed, but it was sort of a waste of resources? I mean, I, I, I was kind of thinking about that and thinking about, oh, it, it will be very hard to quantify how much money has been yeah. spent on it. Equally, yeah. I think it was a very valid exercise to do. I don't think mm. it was the wrong idea. I think, you know, the four hour target has been around for a long time. My kind of, uh, the, the, the stance I came to, on the four hour target was replacing the four hour target is a really good idea as long as you've got something to better to replace it with. 
and you can so, work towards meeting it surely and, it and, and yeah, it doesn't yeah, really exactly. matter what measure is if it's getting worse every week does it exactly exactly so so like at the moment Four you know for our performance uh, in September was at 71% against the 95% benchmarks. And when you look at the type one ANEs, that's the big major ANEs, it's down in the 50s. It's utterly terrible. So what is the point in having a 95% benchmark when the system is so far off meeting at? Um, so it'll be interesting to see what kind of trajectories they, they, they kind of get set. But uh, the thing that we do know is the immediate focus is 12 hour waits and ambulance handovers and that's what the system will be focusing on this winter um and um rightly so and just i was wondering about the trusts that were part of the pilot um i know mm. that nottingham was one of them what's going to happen to them are they just going to stop reporting or are they going to go back to the four you know the oh they're going to go back back mm. to the four hour target everyone mm. will have to go mm. back to the four mm. hour target yeah yeah so yeah. but like i say it, it it's not like they wasted years on on this review it wasn't all wasted there's a lot of mm. good learning that's been taken from mm. there but the review has ultimately failed in delivering its primary aim which was to replace the four-hour target with something better but still a lot of good so there's going to be an urgent an emergency care plan a new plan in the new year I think another, plan. another plan <laughs> so another plan another plan the nhs loves a plan so there's there's going to be a new plan and i think we'll see a lot of the learning from the clinical reviewer standards kind of put into that um so so yeah i mean stuff what's like what's the idea what's the idea with this plan is this is this part of the, this post awesome statement thing of having a, a sort of delivery yeah. a new delivery plan where we'll try and meet milestones like elective uh, like there have been set out for elective care exactly that yeah, so this 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 kind of that plan it was was yeah alluded to in the autumn statement, and um, yes, we await with interest mm, uh, as yeah. to what's going to be in there, and then we'll know a bit more about the longer term thinking. But at the moment, as you said, Dave, firefighting is the name of the game, and unfortunately, that's probably quite and reasonable. That, uh, yeah, and they, I mean, they really want to. Yeah, understandably, the government's got two years to an election and um, and they, they could post bag full of concerns about emergency care and everything. And they want to try and say, well, at NHS, you should start hitting milestones for emergency care in the way that you have for, um, for electives. But I just don't, you know, they don't have a, a, a resourced, you know, a, a long term, they don't have a resourced and sort of actual um, plan or means of, of turning the corner on that, you know, we've, we've no. documented here prior to COVID, things were getting worse each winter pretty much. And then COVID took it completely off a cliff. Um, and then and there's still no viable, can't see any logical reason why the, that, that they would turn the corner on that in the way that they have actually managed in, to turn the corner a tiny bit on elective. So I yeah, suppose. Yeah, let's um, move on to elective actually. Sorry, Dave. Oh, yes. Nice, <laughs> nice segue. Yeah, I was going to say that's the perfect segue into our sort of last bit of performance chat, um, which, well, it came from uh, what's it, a public accounts committee session, James, on yeah, Friday. On Monday. on Monday. Gosh, I thought Monday. it was Friday. Yeah, okay. it's all right. Um, um, and uh, yeah, Amanda Pritchard, chief executive of the NHS, uh, gave a bit of an insight into, well, how it's going in terms of the elective catch up. And she said, Something about reprofiling targets, you're going to have to translate that 
for me yeah <laughs> yeah 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 no no problem at all so um uh amanda pritchard jim mackey uh chris wormall the um uh the permanent secretary uh various other permanent secretaries of the department of health and various other uh, sort of big wigs were hauled in front of the public accounts committee and it was it was an epic uh, of the genre. I think it went on two and a half hours in the end. Uh, but in it, there were a few a few kind of nuggets of information. One was uh, Amanda Pritchard very early on in the session, sort of offering up that um, the NHS England would need to quote reprofile some of the elective recovery trajectories. Um, and basically, we know that. NH, um, NHS England, in order to hit its various elective recovery targets set out in the elective recovery plan, it has to increase elective activity overall to 130% of pre-COVID levels by 2025. 130% uh, in sort of three years from when the plan started. And that, it... <laughs> It doesn't sound like a lot until you start digging into it and then you realize that, you know this 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 was always going to be a very very big ask um and that uh, all these targets around sort of eliminating 52 week weights by 2025 and eliminating 78 week weights by march all all of those things having the waiting list starting to come down at some point are based on uh, boosting these activity levels. So the fact that they're saying, um, ad admitting that these uh, they're, they're, they're going to have to reprofile trajectories um, is really an admission that, you know, the NHS, as the figures would demonstrate so far, um, is, is, is behind on its elective catch-up plan and it's going to have to run even faster um, over the next couple of years than um, perhaps it planned to. Um, in order to hit the target. Now, obviously, Meg Hillier, chair of the um, Public Accounts Committee, asked, well, are you still going to hit the target? Um, and, um, you know, generally speaking, uh, from Sir Jim Mackey and uh, other recovery uh, types, the, the, the language has been quite bullish. You know, they, they were quite bullish about hitting a 104-week target in July they 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 have until this point been quite bullish about um virtually eliminating 78 wheat weights by by March um but she yeah um and, and Amanda Pritchard is you know a positive in, in individual uh was was pretty yeah um reserved in her language and she said you know theoretically the target could be missed um but we're a long way away from that which again is a fair comment but again she she kind of declined to give like a firm yes we are definitely on track to hit the 78 week weight um target which is is something that um jim jim mackey uh prior to um this has ha, ha, has been pretty strong on when 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 he's been out in public he's been asked about 78 week weights it's like oh well the 78 week weights is a very different cohort to the 104 week weights it's a lot of its outpatients the bulk of its outpatients so it it, it will be less likely to be knocked off track during winter and we got a lot of work to do but we you know we're on on track whereas um yeah um miss pritchard was um less um sort of bullish shall we say so uh yeah it was an interesting session it, it it really did sort of hammer home 
quite how challenging things are going to get um, over the next uh, over this winter and obviously you know with um, the unions now coming out yeah uh, absolutely on, yeah. yeah with with all the strike action um, that is you know the gym said that that was actually the the thing that could knock things off course it could be mm. the biggest kind of factor but we've had the data on the flu today we're recording on Thursday that's not looking great that's heading in the wrong direction so yeah a lot mm. for the NHS to to kind of think about and yeah the layering on top the strikes on top it's just um yeah, yeah. Very I did, I did enjoy the, uh, the pre noted the comments of, our, of some of our readers about how can we say how can they be saying the strikes the biggest problem here this like thus far planned for two days um, you know in winter and you clearly have a lot many people running the services are worried that it's going to end up being a lot more days and multiple professions yeah. coming at the same time which is a bit different but it's like but it does uh yeah we're talking we're already in december the financial year started in april it's a bit hard to uh, believe the strike is the main the main factor. the main yeah yeah i mm. mean that that might be more um politicking than reality but there is no doubt that even if you lose like one day on a certain uh on, on on certain things it can take you weeks to re recover from well, yeah that, so. and because if it slows down discharge and everything then it exacerbates those the sort of exactly. it's just this whole way everything yeah yeah Amazing. so there'll be bottlenecks and 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 brief cushions are plenty so yes let's not put too much on the strikes but it's certainly just another yeah uh, another it's yet factor. another thing but definitely not the biggest issue yeah. biggest problem at the moment potentially um thanks james i've got an eye on the time right. so let's just move on to yeah. our, our last topic on this sort of health policy mega mix we've got today um dave is is a story that's obviously garnered a lot of interest um i think from from our readers it's it's around transferring well i suppose money and also potentially power to ICSs. This has been delayed until, well, another couple of years until 2024. Um, can you unpack this one a bit as it's kind of a bit more, a bit more technical perhaps? Yeah, it is a bit. And um, specialised services, a large, quite a large chunk of services, um, some very specialised with, you know, only one centre providing in the whole of England and, you know, a very small number of patients requiring them, all sorts of specialist knowledge. Um, uh, through to um, some much more, um, you know, common stuff like uh, radiotherapy and and things are um, commissioned um, by NHS England, have been commissioned since NHS England was created in 2013 by NHS England, one organisation. Prior to that, these and, and, and that amounts like 20 or so billion pounds, so pretty big chunk, chunk of the NHS budget getting on for a for a fifth of uh, the NHS budget um all running through this one single organization since 2013 before that they were much more of it nearly all of that was with primary care trusts which um commissioned them uh planned them funded them on a sort of regional basis like got together into joint committees and and did it that way um but um you know Going back to the, through the history, um, you know, when when the Lancet reforms took place in 2013, it was thought sort of too dangerous, too risky to put these with clinical commissioning groups, of which there was like 200 or so at that time, um, and so NHS England scooped up this whole very large range of services. Um, 
but with the advent of integrated care systems in which there's only 42 around the country and people uh, are sort of hoping to have a bit more confidence in their uh, uh, abilities than um, than CCGs as well um the uh, there's a, a, a proposition that that specialised services, very large chunks of specialised services, should be devolved to the 42 integrated care systems to to commission, plan, fund, etc. Um, at the slightly more local level, and meaning that you don't have to run this absolutely enormous amount of money through a single organisation, single board. And I think it does. You know, people in the last couple of years are coming to to realise that running an NHS England of this size is is is, is kind of um, not right to have one um, quango that's quite so enormous, and I do think that the sheer size of it makes it makes it pretty difficult to manage and be accountable and transparent myself. Um, however, um, you know there are a lot of people, as you said, garnered interest, and in, yeah, you know, it's a lot of money um, for people to think about their services that really are, um, you know, attract a lot of interest because of particular patient groups who like really rely on them. Lots of um, specialist clinicians who really, uh, you know, understand the importance of these specialist services to their area and to their to their patients and to often to sort of in the, involve cutting edge innovative developments, the use of cutting edge uh, expensive medicines and equipment and things like that, which requires um, uh, requires investment and um, a sort of national uh, view and consensus about how to develop it. Um, so, um, so there is a lot invested in it. NHS England in April this year, uh, May I think actually in this year, um, published what it called a roadmap for the devolution delegation of um, specialised services and said that um, in 2020 three, 24 um, and 24, 25, there would be a sort of gradual move to, to delegation. Um, it set out a sort of stepping stone. So in before fully delegating specialised service budgets to integrated care systems, it said that they would do a kind of joint commissioning with um, within between NHS England and ICBs, which is like basically still NHS England holds the money, but we're going to, you know, ask you a bit more about it and talk to you a bit more about it, ICBs. Um, but it, the expectation really in that roadmap that people seem to people took from it, uh, you know, rightly, I think, was that in the next financial year, so April next year, there was going to be a big devolution of many of these billion, a lot of that out of that 20 billion, lots of big service lines. Um, I will um, just uh, pull up the examples, but things like radiotherapy um, and some pretty, um, pretty chunky um, services would be um, would be delegated down in April next year to most ICSs. But if you look at the small print, NHS England did say, uh, so yeah, I found the other examples, things like radiotherapy, major trauma, heart disease, uh, congenital heart disease services, but a whole range of stuff for, for both adults and children would, would be passed over. Um, if you look at the small print, NHS England did say, well, we're going to put every ICS through a test of like whether it's ready, and that will happen about now, about November, December. Um, and we'll also make some decisions about which services we can actually transfer over in April 23. So it kind of left itself a lot of wriggle room about um, about whether to delay it. And there's been a sort of head, head of steam in recent weeks and months, I think, as I see it, as, as, as the systems actually contemplated doing this in reality, a head of steam of sort of concern and opposition. Um, you know, people have been the, the, the Shelford Group, which um, represents the very biggest providers of a lot of these specialist things, has already has been very concerned about it for a long 
time we reported back in the spring that they'd said pretty pretty on set out in in very clear terms the risks of all this destabilizing these services postcode lotteries and all that sort of thing um uh, you know lack of being absence of being able to develop the services and then that's that's grown really and you know people at nhs providers also being um somewhat concerned um uh, you know, Nigel Edwards of the Nuffield Trust has commented, and uh, I think King's Fund and others have also been been taking interest. So all kinds of people who are sort of very experienced watchers of this sort of thing have been saying, "Hang on a minute, are you really sure about this?" And I think the biggest concern is the, the prospect of destabilising those specialised services because they they serve a whole large uh, region in many cases. But if you so if you sort of delegate it down to very small ICSs that that actually um, only look after one or two general hospitals, they're going to have little vested interest in um, in in using their money for these services that are probably outside their area. You know, if you're talking about in Northamptonshire, they're actually maybe their patients probably go into Leicester or Birmingham or something like that. So why would Northamptonshire ICS not meaning to pick on Northamptonshire? It's an entirely made up example, but you know why they have every interest in sort of funneling that money instead to um, Northamptonshire's uh, two general hospitals. Our colleague Ben uh, Clover, who covers London and, and watched this sort of thing for a long time, wrote a very good column the other week, I think he called it Commissioning Yourself, um, in that uh, about the risks of this and you know why um, why is looking after quite specialised things being passed down to sort of smaller areas that are not really um, specialists in, uh, in, in running and commissioning that stuff. So it looks uh, like, and we've reported many people, you know, people have been, uh, many people have been told now that it's essentially it's not going to happen on mass in April 23 anymore. This, the big delegation will, most stuff will be pushed back. ICS is, all, you know, there's obviously a covering story of, um, for NHS England of, look, actually we said there was a roadmap and we're going to ask you to do more joint commissioning and form your regional committees and things in 23, 24, and then look at big delegation again. But I mean, it does raise the question of what well, is this really ever going to happen if it's too risky? Um, the other type of destabilizing services is also a lot of financial risk in all this. So even ICSs and ICBs in many cases are not really clamouring to take this on because they look at it and say well we don't really want to be past these responsibilities without knowing what the financial risk is and there's sort of explosive costs in there like really expensive drugs and um, treatments if you get one patient who you know requires a huge amount of specialist treatment in one year and it could totally knock off their their budgets and they don't feel NHS England's really given them a, a proper appraisal of what they'd be taking on so there's not a massive pull <laughs> factor I think for ICSs it's a mixed um there's mixed views if some of them are quite keen to do it and the the ICS network has said in response to our stories that like where ICSs are ready and up for it they should be allowed to do it um, but there's not a massive clamour I mean it is it's worth I think um, remembering as well from the ICS point of view that some of this stuff like really isn't that specialist is it I mean you know radiotherapy and, and, and trauma major trauma and, and, and a sort of specialist but not in all that not hugely rare things so there's quite a lot of sort of stuff where it does seem to make sense to put it back with the ICSs but they do have to be able to be capable of getting together into kind of regional committees to, to commission it and that sort of thing. And is this something that could be covered by the Hewitt review do you think? 
I don't know if it'll be explicitly covered. You should it should be mentioned, shouldn't it? If the you know the Hewitt review you talked about it last week on the podcast, didn't you? And it was well, well worth a, a listen back if you if you haven't heard that one. But um, the um, talking about autonomy and the future of ICSs, it should consider it. But it, it's a good example of one of the issues for the Hewitt review. It's like people want ICSs to do uh, be a lot more. And you know, I remember writing a piece way back, um, probably a couple of years ago um saying you know nhs england is too big and does need to uh kind of get rid of some of its responsibilities and and and, and it can do that by building um ics's uh, organizations at that level into like actual capable um you know system managers and planners and commissioners you know build a, a proper uh, regional tier there which is which was sort of stripped out by um lansley um um, and the ICS, this ICS decision is a, is a good example of why we're not there yet, because people have looked at them and gone, oh, well, we're not going to trust them with this sort of, uh, you know, 15, 20 billion, um, uh, and, you know, which really should, some of which at least should be, should be a core part of their of their job. So, yes, part of the kind of problem problem for Hewitt and it might raise this issue some people would say well some of them just too small you know you, yeah northeast and um, Cumbria is a is a is a state is a legitimate patch to commission specialized services on maybe Cheshire and Merseyside maybe Greater Manchester but like Dorset or um, Somerset or something um, they have, have not many specialized services there so and they're just too small uh, for a catchment population for many specialist services so so some would say but well, we clearly need to you know the nhs is never far away from suggesting a merger of, of whatever it has in especially in the middle tier so um so there's a number of people out there in provided trusts and in nhs england sort of saying well we need to merge some of these things don't we so that they can all work a bit more like these ones in the north of england or london where they're covering multiple millions of population um and then they can attract better leaders and kind of um, more um sort of substantial management um uh, ballast and, and things like that capability um as well so yeah so it is part of the, the picture for um for human thanks very much dave um i think on that note i'm going to need to draw the podcast to a close this week with, with an eye on the time but thanks thanks both very much for joining and just a reminder to listeners our podcast is available every week and on the hsj website and across all main podcast channels and we would also love to hear from you so if you have any thoughts on what we should cover or if you have any questions you'd like our team of expert journalists to answer on the podcast you can get in touch with me on annabelle.collins at hsj.co.uk or tweet me at hsjannabelle. Thanks very much for listening and we'll see you next, week, next time.